In today's show, we're talking Phoenix Suns and their outlook for the upcoming season. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. We're talking Phoenix Suns and we're doing that with the host of the Locked On Suns podcast, Brendan Clean. So, warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> Let's bring him back on, the host of the Locked On Suns podcast. Brendan Clean is here. Brendan, welcome back to Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about this Phoenix Suns team, which the change in the way that this team has operated over the last few seasons has been wild. They were a team that had so many young guys and would try to look work around the margins to get young guys in now that it said the draft. What's that? Don't know her. Um, free agency, we're not going to bother with that two ways. Are they a thing that exists? Like, we don't care. They're just going to run bare, bare minimum. Don't care about young players. Don't care about the draft. Don't really do anything. Let's go, we're here. We're doing what we do, and uh, and we're ready to go. So if we just look at this, you know, who came in and, and who left the team, it's, it's not much. Damian Lee, Jock Landale, Dwayne Washington and Josh Kogi, and they lose McGee, Aaron Holiday, Gabriel Lundberg, and Alfred Payton. That's just not much happening. No, no, no a very quiet summer. I mean, mostly, I, I'm optimistic we'll see some moves. I don't think this is the end of their their offseason. They were definitely held hostage by this Kevin Durant situation, so I think that there's every indication that they need to make moves. Now it's just a matter of if they will. I don't. I don't think fans would be pretty content if they were to run it back with what just happened in that game seven against Dallas in the second round. And I can't imagine the people in that building would be either. But like you said, they they are not a very active team. They tend to stay put unless a perfect opportunity comes along. It's going to be really interesting to see what, what they do. Because you're right, they've been in this holding pattern. I think they've only got like 13 guys on the roster even at the moment. And there's been so much buzz around someone like Jay Crowder who... You know, blurring out Suns logos on his workout tops and deleting Instagram posts and um, the DeAndre Ayton saga, but there's just nothing that's actually really happening with this team at the moment. But let's talk about injuries at the moment where we sit with that because there's one big one here that we do need to talk about. Dario Saric missed all of last season and then something that passed under my radar, he sneakily had another knee surgery and I think it was March or May, I don't know, one of those months starting with M. Is he ready to, to begin the year? It seems like he will be. So, yeah, you're right. He he had the torn ACL, obviously, in the finals in 2021 and then tore his meniscus right as he was potentially getting ready to at least be practicing. It was so close to the playoffs, I doubt we would have seen him in game action. But definitely a setback. I do think, though, it was minor. I know the common thing around the NBA, there's no such thing as a minor. Any surgery, let alone a knee surgery. So we'll obviously continue to monitor that. But he was... I was at practice the day before that game seven loss and he was on the floor okay. and that was only a month or two after he had been, uh, you know, it had come out that the meniscus tear happened. So my understanding is it was just a setback. You don't want to see it happen, but I don't think it was so much so that he's not going to be able to play. I believe he's been competing overseas or at least practicing with his national team. So every indication is 
he should be ready for training camp and, and working his way back to an NBA uh, return. Yeah, so he'll slot in nicely there in that backup role you would expect. But let's take a look at your projected starting group here, Brendan. And this is the same projected starting group I have, but it's different to last year's. It's Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, and DeAndre Ayton. And it feels to me... And I don't know why it feels this way to me. It just feels inevitable that Cam Johnson's going to be the starter. Like, there's almost no debate around it, even though that wasn't the case last season. Maybe I'm tying it into the Jay Crowder you know, issues, social media discontent. But it hasn't been confirmed, but it doesn't feel like it's going any other direction. No, it doesn't. I actually was putting, when I was putting this together, when we were talking, I think I put this as the starting lineup in terms of my projection last year as well. So this is something we've been waiting for with Cam taking over the starting spot. I think one of the things here is if Crowder is on the roster again, he's just a player that fits better with the starting lineup than he is as a bench player. You know, you want guys off the bench who are a little bit more like Cam Johnson, who can come in and, and score, who, you know, and, and bench versus starters, it's, it's not as important as it used to be in the NBA, but that's always been, I think, the hesitancy is Crowder can just slot right in defend the the opposing forward that that you know poses the biggest threat make some threes he just is such a perfect fit with that lineup so i think cam by the end of the season for sure will be the starter in the meantime it's just do they find a, a trade partner for crowder and do they find other lineups to work around where crowder can come off the bench and still be effective for the team Johnson had some really big moments at times last season, but that was when there were a lot of injuries and those numbers do struggle to continue at that sort of level when he's playing with that full complement of guys. Um, can he hold up defensively in this role? I think he can hold up defensively, yes. I think he is, if you look back, I think his best defensive stretch as a pro has been the Clippers, the, the Western Conference Finals in 2021. He was guarding... You know, Paul George at times switching on to their, you know, five out offense and, and guarding on the perimeter got very exposed by Luca. So I understand the concerns. To me, the biggest question is obviously, can you be as good of a team defense with him instead of Crowder? I think the answer is probably no, just because I respect Crowder and what he does that much. Um, but the bigger thing for me is can he even hold up physically? Can he stay healthy? Because yeah. that's the other thing. Even setting aside the hip stuff, which is what came into the league with him, he had a surgery, he was medically red flagged by some teams on draft night in 2019. That doesn't even seem to have been the problem. Maybe there's some lingering effects of that that are contributing to these other things, but he's missed two weeks here, two weeks there throughout all of his time in the league now. So I think that's the big question. Can he handle 30 minutes a game? Can he handle playing against elite forwards on a nightly basis. You mentioned some of those big scoring nights that he had. He scored uh, 30, 40 points against the Knicks in, I want to say, March of last year. The best game of his career. Hits a game winner. Everybody in the building goes crazy. But Julius Randle hurt him just posting him up, just gave him a, a knee to the, to the thigh, basically. And he missed two weeks. So he has the best game of his career, yeah, plays right. a ton of minutes, and then has to go right to the bench. I think that's what you're worried about. Yeah, and the other thing is, like, he's 20, 26. He's going to turn 27 towards the end of the season. Like, you need to find out whether he can start and play starters minutes at this point because we are, we, this is 
prime Cam Johnson. This isn't a standard fourth year rookie who might be 21 or 22. Like this is a guy who's 26 already and yeah, restricted free agent at the end of the season. And, and if you don't figure it out this year, and if you, you play 32, 33 year old Jay Crowder um, in that role, 32 year old Jay Crowder in that role um, all season, you still don't really know if Johnson can handle it. And then you, you don't like, well, what do you do with his contract after that? So I think that part of that is what's pushed, pushing me to think he's just got to get those extra minutes now because we are yeah, pushing up against you know, where, where he sits. He's Again, it's not a standard rookie. He's 26 years of age and he's going to turn 27 at the end of the year and, and we'll see where he, he fits in because that that is a, a question mark. What about Devin Booker, he was great last season as always, but we saw him take some really big steps forward when Chris Paul was out. The numbers really spiked. He put up those huge numbers. We saw some of those assists come back. But... Yeah, I don't see how that level of play continues on this season when Chris Paul is healthy because he just took on that extra load. What what can Devin Brooker bring extra this season that he hasn't the last two? It's a really good question. I think you're you're seeing him get to a point in his career where it is so routine, like you said, that that those next levels are maybe harder to notice. Like, I don't know if there's a statistical button he can push where all of a sudden he's going to feel like a very different player. I mean, he's, I think this is going to be his seventh season, eighth season um, at this point. So I think the thing to point to is not maybe something new, but something can it continue because last year he averaged seven threes a game. That was one of the things you would always point to about Booker is, comes into the NBA, wins the three-point contest, all these things where we thought of him as an elite shooter, but the numbers didn't always match it, especially on the attempts side. Like, it's one thing to have some fluctuation in your efficiency, but he just never took a lot. And this year, he finally did. So, you know, I've been looking around. Seven was a, a really good mark for him, but even the best, you know, the best players, the best scorers in the league – it's eight, nine, ten again, yeah. right? So can he do that? I think that's kind of the thing. And it's it's maybe a little boring to always point to that, but this guy is is so incredible that the two-point percentage is always going to be over 50. He's a great passer. I think he can keep getting better as a passer. I don't know if that'll be more assists, but it'll be more uh, valuable passing creation for teammates, breaking down the defense. But, you know, all these things have been so consistent for him. He's been 25 to 28 points per game for a while now, even on winning teams. So to me, it's can he increase his overall efficiency by taking and making more threes and, and really get to that Harden, Doncic, Trey Young status, Lillard status, and that would be really impressive to see. Yeah, he needs to be hitting over three a game, really. Like, yeah, he's at you know, 2.6 or whatever, which is still a good number. And you're right, the seven attempts, but it needs to be eight or nine attempts. And he needs to be pushing more of that because he can do it. He just needs to do that and get that little bit more value um, into his game. In terms of a rotation group, again, it's, it's just boring. Like, it's just what it is. It's Payne, it's Shamit, Craig, Crowder, and Sharich. And then you've got Landau and Biombo who can uh, slide in there as backup bigs. I Look... Uh, there's just nothing exciting about this group from a fantasy perspective or even a real life. Like, who's going to, like, blow up? They're just going to s- sit in here, Brendan, and just sort of do their do their thing, I guess. I think Charge, to return to him, you know, he he's the player, not just from the return standpoint that is interesting, but I do think when he's at his best, and look, it, it has been a while. He, he had injuries the first full COVID season, even before he tore his ACL. He hasn't really been healthy since 2019-20. 
but that year and, and especially in the bubble and at different moments, like he, he really is somebody who can give you, you know, 15 and seven and, and a couple of assists. Like he, he's a very productive player. If the situation is right, he has great chemistry with campaign. I think he could develop the same with Landry Shamit as another, you know, off screen shooter and ball mover type of player. He just fits exactly how the Suns want to play. And he tends to maximize the guys out there with him and, and he can score when the opportunities are there. So I'm, I'm looking for a bounce back season from him. I think he can unlock some things for them, maybe play with DeAndre Ayton a little bit too. Yeah. They liked that look before, but you're right. Nothing nothing super spectacular about those five, and it could look very different. Again, they're not done here, I don't think, by any means, tinkering around the edges of the roster. We'll be back to talk about uh, some more Sun stuff in just a second before we do that, though. An important message. If you've been hanging out with some friends, putting back a few drinks, a few might become a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. You go, nah, I live nearby. Well, I can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds that it'll get pulled over anyway? Even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk and the results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to ruin your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Now, Brendan, it's time for us to focus on the young players on this team. Oh, um... Yeah, okay. There's nobody that's under the age of 22 on this team, so we're just going to uh, move straight ahead and go on to this question about... Where is my next question? Um, John Ayton. We know there was a whole bunch of stuff that started in the playoffs last season. I was just looking back at the Game 7 box score. I'm sure you've never looked at that box score again in your life against Dallas, um, where he played like 17 minutes and going, oh yeah, that's right. Like He just didn't go back into the game. And there was obviously a whole bunch of acrimony throughout the offseason. There was offer sheets, and now he's back on this team. Can they get past this? Can they get past... Like Monty Williams, he's known... If he's known for one thing, it's being a great coach. But another thing, it's been a great bloke and a guy that brings people together. But there was obvious issues between those two. Can that be patched uh, patched up and worked through and will just be business as usual for this team? Because Aiton, in the years that Chris Paul has been there, has not really... Numbers-wise, hasn't thrived. He's stepped back in his numbers quite a bit, and I'm sure that's part of a sticking point with him too. So does he come back and accept that this is his role? Hey, you play 29, 30 minutes. You play this smaller role, um, and you just have to deal with it. Like, is this going to be – is this fixable? The Suns want you to believe it is. I I don't know if other folks caught it, but uh, Mark Spears of Anscape did a big feature the day that Aiton signed – Uh, what became his new contract after they matched the offer sheet that Indiana gave to him. And everybody said all the things you're supposed to say, right? You know, game seven's just one, you know, flash in the pan, you know, where we've been together too long for something like this to get between us. And Monty kind of owned up to it being his mistake first and foremost to, to ride a player like that in a moment when the whole team failed to show up. And I do think that's the, to focus on the game seven part of it for first it wasn't Aiton's fault, right? Like no. the problem that happened that night was Aiton wasn't giving effort at a moment when it just was, it was embarrassing to to not, right? Like your your whole season's falling apart. And so to, to be, you know, pushing back against the coach, not hustling, not, yeah, I think the play that he got taken out of the game for was like, you know, not contesting, followed by not boxing out, followed by not running up the floor. And it's like, it's coach stuff, right? I get it, but nobody played well. Everybody failed that night, including Monty Williams. So I think that 
ownership of the situation for Monty is the right way to approach it. DeAndre has said, you know, I'm going to flush it and forget it too. But what that kind of brings us to is the same question we've had for a while now of if Monty's system is flexible enough, if Monty personally is flexible enough to give Aiton more of those opportunities. And what do we not know about behind the scenes about whether Aiton's actually earned those opportunities? Because we can all talk about what happened at the you know University of Arizona when he was in college and how he played in the post. He did it a little bit as a rookie, wasn't amazing at it, but he was fairly efficient. He just never really done it. So it's kind of like, I guess you would say he's sacrificed enough to earn those opportunities, but we also just don't know if he's good at doing that. And I, that's, it's just kind of an impossible question to answer, but I do think committing to him at least in some way with this new contract means you got to start to meet him halfway. You can't keep pushing a player over and over and over even once you've paid him, like at a certain point, like he's a, he's a member of this. So, so bring him in, make him feel like one, give him a couple post-ups, play him with the bench a little bit more. That's not something they've really done. Maybe play him with Sharich, see what that can unlock. There's ways to move around with this, but at the end of the day, it's going to require other players who have been scoring, who have been having the ball in their hands doing less. The thing is with, with this team is that they are in this win now mode, really, like, you know, getting to the finals, another, you know, 60 plus win season last season is that you can, I guess, try it out and like, hey, let's see what happens. Let's give DeAndre the ball. But if it doesn't work, they they have to be ruthless and say, it doesn't work. Like, you, we want to win a title. You've got to do what actually makes the team better. We can't be out here just exploring what could potentially happen for 50 games as we fall down to, you know, three games above 500 or something because we've taken the ball out of our better players' hands and force-fed you in the post because it makes you feel happier. So there's got to be some level of understanding there. So I can see them trying it a little bit more early on, but I also think that this is a team that doesn't have the latitude to let that sort of stuff necessarily go all through the season if it's not working because they have a really set goal with a really set time frame that it needs to really start to happen this season or next season given the age of their starting point guard who is now 37 years of age like that sort of stuff um you probably should have a, a really limited um level of tolerance for stuff that isn't working and get back to the stuff that does work and speaking of that 37 year old point guard brendan chris paul over the course of the last few years, has just stopped taking threes, really. His last season in Houston, 49% of his shots came from three. I don't know, that's Houston. You go, that's Daryl Morey, that's Houston, that's fine. 34% in Oklahoma City that season. He was at 29% of his shots from three his first year in Phoenix. He was down at 27% from three, or if his percentage of his shots were from three last season. And he shot, or I'm sure this is a career low, like thirty under 32% from three. So... Is this a by design thing? Is it a Chris Paul thing that he's just not going to take these threes anymore? Is it just the lack of confidence because they weren't going in? That he said, well, they're not going in, so I'm just not going to take them. Um, how does that impact the, the play of others on the court as well if if he's just going to be shying away from threes? And we've already talked about Devin Booker probably not taking enough as well. It's uh, it's the bizarre and frustrating thing about this team, right? They're, they're so, so, so mid-range heavy. And they've leaned further into it as time has gone on, not less into it. Like DeAndre Ayton, who we were just talking about, he did get more opportunities last year. And I don't, I, I feel like I said he never showed that he can post up or score. That's not fully true. He, he, he has improved, but those shots came from the mid-range predominantly for him. Booker the same way. So uh, it is a problem. You can't keep doing that. They didn't have great performances from a lot of their floor spacers last year, whether that's Cameron Payne or Landry Shamit, these guys. So they need Chris Paul to 
pose a threat there, I think. Um, what they really ended up doing last year, more to make up for it, was just feeding the roller. I mean, JaVale McGee had an incredible efficiency offensive season, and you know they got a little more from Mikhail Bridges, a little more from Cam Johnson. So they get, they've already shown, I think, the worst-case scenario last year for Chris Paul in terms of efficiency, only making 32%, that they can still have an elite offense without that. What I look to is the age – as age continues to to be unprecedented with what Chris Paul is doing, there's three guys who you can look to. John Stockton, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash. Those three guys did really do what Chris Paul is doing as late as he's doing it at the point guard position. And almost all of them really became like, uh, even Sue Bird from the WNBA side has, has taken on this transformation as well. Like an orchestrator and a three-point shooter, right? Like that, that starts to become the role for a lot of these players. So if I'm this coaching staff of the Suns, I'm encouraging Chris Paul to lean more into that type of a role. I think the the stubbornness is on him fully. You know, I think, like you said, in Houston, that was the system. If he was going to buy in and be a team player, he had to take threes. In Oklahoma City, it did go down, down pretty dramatically. I don't think it's that big of an outlier compared to his, his Suns seasons, about one more per game. These past three years, I think, is, is where he more wants to be. Um, dribbling into the mid-range, dribbling you know, into the pick and roll, these things we know Chris Paul to be, but it also wears on him. And if health is not going to be a problem, if he can keep playing 60-plus games a season in the NBA, he needs to do less. And I think taking more threes is better for that. And I don't think the 32% is, is going to be where he is going forward. There's no reason to believe that. So if the efficiency can come back, if he can – agree to take a little bit more on offensively i think that's a reasonable sort of thing and then you know that sacrifice allows guys like ayton to do a little more so i think it has to happen for the team to to balance a little bit but as it's always been with chris paul it's a matter of if he's comfortable with it if he'll agree to it we're going to talk a bit more about the suns in a second including a breakout candidate brendan before i do that you a um arizona cardinals fan uh, unfortunately, I am, yes. Well, if you want to know what their odds are for this weekend's preseason game, you can go straight to betonline.net because it is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs for all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. The Cardinals, who do they have this weekend? Let's have, I'm sure you know off the top of your head, Tennessee Titans, and they are three point underdogs in that first, or that, sorry, that third preseason game. Um, we'll see how that all goes. And if you want to check out on the Cardinals or any other team, just go straight to Bet Online. But it's not just NFL, it's Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. So head across to Bet Online and check everything from live in game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action that is happening today. Bet Online is where the game starts. Okay, I prefaced it already. Who is a breakout candidate on this team, Brendan? Ooh, if, if there's it's, anybody. It's Cam Johnson. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's Cam Johnson because if he can consistently do what the high points of his career have shown us he's capable of, he's a really good player. I mean, somebody who can not just be a three-point shooter, but has the size and athleticism to finish at the basket. He's I've, I've had this, you know, nugget observation on my show for a while now that on a team, which we just talked about, takes so many mid range shots. Cam Johnson's one of the only players who from the regular season to the playoffs, when most players start to take fewer jumper or 
yeah, I mean, ideally take fewer jumpers, get to the rim more if they're star level players like a Devin Booker or, or whoever. Cam Johnson is really the only player on the team who's actually done that. And he's not the type of player you would imagine to do it. He has that highlight dunk over PJ Tucker that was in the finals in 2021 that a lot of people might remember, but that's started to become more frequent for him. So he's not just a three-point shooter. I think to your question earlier, he can stay on the floor defensively. He might not be elite, but he can be, uh, he can be a part of a winning rotation. So, you know, 13 points per game last year, but 46% from the field, 43% from deep. He's a good free throw shooter, doesn't take a lot. So everything's there. It's just, can he stay on the floor? Will the coaching staff give him the opportunities? And uh, what does he do with it? What about the other side of things? What about a regression candidate? Regression candidate. I mean, I think it's Chris Paul to me, um, just because I, I just think it's important to... You, you have to, at some point, tell him it's not up to him. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's incredible. I don't, it's not an easy thing to navigate. I don't think it's, I don't think he's somebody who will accept resting games. I don't think we should expect a season where Chris Paul only plays 55 games and, you know, sits here and there and, and you know, fake injuries and everything else. But I just think he, he cannot continue to have the ball in his hands 80% of the time like he wants to and and expect to be, at his best, whether it's the second round or it's the finals. Like, even though the Suns have been incredible the past two years and and made pretty decent playoff runs, he has been extremely inconsistent, if not outright bad, in multiple of those series. So you gotta hope for more if you're keeping him on this roster, which they are. And so I think you gotta you gotta manufacture a slump or something, whatever you want to call it, because uh, it's just not sustainable. Do you think this team is better than they were last season? As it stands, no. I mean, I think they they could. I don't think they'll win sixty four games because that's just an outlier, yeah. no matter what. Um, but as far as like offensive, defensive efficiency, those types of things, I, I mean, the roster is pretty much the same. Javale McGee is really the only departure that I think matters in the grand scheme of things. I don't think any of the players that they signed so far are should be expected to make a big difference. So you know, I probably feel about the same with them as I did heading into last season. Is you know, Chris Paul's a little bit of a wild card because of age. The rest of the young guys you'd hope will continue to get better. The role players are really just system guys, and they should be, you know, 55-win team, 55-plus win team. I I don't know what that means for the playoffs. I think teams are starting to solve them. But in terms of the regular season, I think they'll be, you know, vying for that one seed like they have the past two years. Is the most likely player to be traded Jay Crowder, or is there someone else? Yeah, it's Crowder. Um, I think it's Crowder probably to your point about the social media stuff, you know, blurring out the logo and he's liking That's so petty. fan he's liking fan <laughs> tweets with him like jersey photoshopped with Mavs or Heat <laughs> jerseys and uh it's it's silly. Crowder's a character. I don't think it's like, you know, malicious, but he's just making his his intentions known. But I do think like the majority of the role players on this roster could be available. Tory Craig's on a really tradable salary, Cameron Payne is on a really tradable salary. Even Landry Shamit, he has um some partial or non-guarantees at the end of his extension, so he seems expensive, but uh it's only for about this year and next year. Dario Saric, the same, his his salary is the same as as Jay Crowder's effectively. So the Suns have done a good job of, of doing that. I know you mentioned they don't do a lot, but there's a reason they were in the Kevin Durant 
talks, yeah. right? It's like they have the flexibility to make moves. It's just they wait until they love a move before they make it. So they're not going to jump into anything. If they want to, though, I could see four, five, six guys being uh, available and maybe moved. We haven't spoken about this guy. I just want to throw him in here. Um, Mikael Bridges' name was thrown out a ton in the Kevin Durant stuff. I really like Mikael Bridges. I think he's a you know, defensive player of the year caliber sort of a player. Is there any hope that... Yeah, we don't want him to be traded. But is there any hope that he can you know, take a step forward offensively, or is he just much like eight and like the pecking order and the hierarchy is already established? So it's just go and do the same thing again. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't think it's so much that the pecking order is established. I actually think the Suns would be thrilled if he did a little more on offense. Now, are those opportunities always there? You know, I think that comes and goes. I think that's one of the frustrations of playing with Chris Paul at times is he's the guy who will, you know, in, be, be encouraging you, barking at you to, to take it down the floor if you get a rebound and there's an opening in transition. And he'll be the same guy who looks you off if he wants to take things over in the third quarter of a random game, you know? So I think the Suns did a, a very, they were very concerted last year. They wanted to run sets for Mikhail Bridges in the half court. They wanted to give him opportunities to handle the ball. They wanted to give him, more spaces on the floor that his shots could come from. So he did a little more his, his turnaround uh, like jumper pull up jumper is it's, it's super pretty because his arms are so long and it goes in a ton. So he is adding more. It just needs to be faster. And if it could be, I think he could be the, the sort of extra scoring punch that this team has really needed the past two post seasons. But like you said, with Cam Johnson, we're not talking about somebody with Mikhail starting his second contract. Who's 23 right? He's, he's already into his mid to late twenties and, and basically his prime. Is there another level to that, that offensive game for him? Or is this just sort of the player we should expect him to be? It, it is, it's just so frustrating because the talent's there, the ability's there, but he just never really tapped into it in the NBA. His two point shooting numbers are insane. They're like consistently over 60%. I think he was at 62 or something last season, like yeah. which for a wing player is just, a, it's a crazy number. He was at 63% on twos last season, which again, doesn't take huge amounts, but it's still an insane number that he hits him at that level of efficiency. We're going to end things here, Brendan, with some quiz questions. Everyone who's listened to my show knows what these are going to be, but it's regarding the talent grades on basketball index, three point shooting talent, playmaking talent and finishing talent give you a little bit of a heads up. It's not just about who's the best three-point shooter in terms of percentage. It's about yeah, self-created and pull-ups having more value than, say, a catch-and-shoot. It's about the volume of those shots. Playmaking is not just the highest number of assists. It's getting guys into open positions, versatility, variety of passes, volume of passes. And finishing is not just you know, can you get putbacks and you know, tip them in after offensive rebounds. It's about driving, finishing at the rim, uh, drawing contact or finishing through contact, all that sort of stuff. So who do you think would have graded out as the highest three-point shooting talent on this team? I got to go with Devin Booker. You are correct. It is Devin Booker. What about playmaking? Uh, these these are just not that tough. What, who, who do you think the playmaking talent is? This one's Chris Paul. It is. Now, this is this one tough? Let me look at the answer. Mm, this one is tough. If you get this one, you are a, a legend in the Phoenix community. Who do you think graded out with the highest finishing talent on this team? There is no so way you get it. Last this season. is last year's team? Yep. I want to say JaVale McGee, but you're making me think it can't be if it's that hard. It's it's not JaVale McGee. I'll give you that hint. Okay. Tory Craig. <laughs> it, it was somehow Cameron Payne who finished that because his three-point shot didn't go in, but he, he drives a ton. And I think that's the uh, the... Uh, 
volume of his drives and I guess he finished them at a decent rate as well, pushed him there, which that was staggering to me that he graded out that high. Last question, we've touched on players not shooting threes already. How many three-pointers has DeAndre Ayton attempted in his 7,247 career regular season minutes? See, this should have been like, a, is it an over this or under this? Because then I could have gotten it. Uh, All right, okay. I, I got the answer. I'll give, I'll give you this. The over under is um, 75. Under. <laughs> okay. Well, let's do another over under. The over under is 45. Under. I was going to say, is it like 15? Well, he's made 14. He's attempted 56 in that time, which... Wow. He's a good. That's way more than I would have guessed. Okay. He's a good mid-range shooter. He can hit free throws. Okay. Attempting fifty-six in four years is 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 just a crazy low amount for a guy that. Look, it should be at least at a hundred, really. Look over that time, like, but even then, a hundred—that's twenty-five a year. That's it's not it's not many. He just refuses to do it, and it is something yep. that I think he's definitely got the ability to do it. But it, it's frustrating that it doesn't get there. Um, Brendan, that's it. We're done talking at Phoenix Suns. Thanks for coming on and chatting about the Suns. What's going on over at Locked On Suns at the moment? Guests galore. We are talking to everybody in this market about what's going on with Kevin Durant, what the team uh, is going to look like, who are their options, what do they need. And then uh, as with the whole league, we're getting ready for training camp coverage, season preview. Uh, it's, it's exciting. It's uncertain. Game seven is still very fresh, but... Yes, anyone who who cares about the Phoenix Suns should be listening. It's it's going to be fun. Jump over, follow uh, Locked On Suns, and follow Brendan on the social media. We can see down below Brendan Clean fourteen. Thank you, Brendan, for coming on and chatting Suns with me. Anytime. And that'll do it for me today. Um, we will be back later on today with a Lakers show, so stay tuned for that. Follow this podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. Throw a thumbs up and a comment if you are on YouTube, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.